Welcome to Directions in Rashi, a podcast that will help you understand individual comments from Rashi throughout the Chumash, and that will also introduce you to some of the general principles which I feel uh, directed Rashi in his creation of his commentary, and that will help us to understand his commentary better all around. Welcome. In Parshas Bullock, we read that the people of the nation of Moab saw the, the Klal Yisrael approaching their land on their way to Eretz Yisrael, and they were afraid that they would be overrun by the Bnei Yisrael. And therefore, the king of Moab, whose name was Bullock ben Sipor, he sent to a sent a message to a gentleman, quote unquote, named Bilam ben Baor, for some help. Let's read that Pasuk. Pasuk hey. And he, meaning Bolak, the king of Moyov, sent messengers to Bilam, the son of Baor, Pesoira, to a city called Pesoira or Pesor, Asher al Hanahor, which was on the river, by the river, Eretz b'nei Amo, in the land of his people. We'll see soon whose people. Likroi to call to him. So he sent messengers to call for Bilam to come help. Lamor, to say, Hine am yotzomi Mitzrayim, behold, a nation has gone out from Mitzrayim, meaning the Bnei Yisrael, Hine chisaw es ein ha'aretz, behold, this nation has covered the appearance of the land, they are covering the land, v'hu yoshev mimuli, and he is sitting across from me, and as he continues, he's afraid that they're going to harm him, and therefore please come, and uh, please come and curse them, because I know, Asher Tevarach Mevarach, I know that the, those whom you bless are blessed, the Asher Tevarach, you are, and those that you curse are cursed. Let's see the Rashi. Eretz B'nei Amo. So Bolak sent to Bilam, to the Eretz B'nei Amo, to the land of his people, whose people is debatable. Rashi says, Eretz B'nei Amo shall Bullock. It means Bullock sent to where, to where he had come from, not to where Bullock, not to where Bilam was. Some, some Mephoshim say, obviously when you send for someone, you usually send to the place where he lives and usually a person lives where his people live. So it would not have been necessary to say to the land of Bilam's people, what the, what the Pusik is pointing out is that although Bullock is in Mayav, but he is sending out to uh, Pesaira, which is in another country, but that's where he himself had come from. Rashi says, Misham hayo, that's where Bolak was from. And this person, Bilam, prophesied about him at some time before, and he said to him, you are going to be a king someday. And therefore, uh, Bolak knew about Bilam and he knew that his prophecies are effective and therefore he needed some help so he sent to Bilam. Now Rashi asks Akasha a question. The Im Taimar, if you'll ask, Why did a Baruch Hu rest his holy presence upon this Goy Russia, upon this non-Jewish evil person? Meaning Bilam. Why did a Baruch Hu give prophecy 
to this person? Good question. So Rashi answers, this is based on a midrash. This should this is in order that the umais that the nation should not have a pischein ped. They should not have literally an opening of the mouth. They should not have any complaints. Saying as follows: If we would have had prophets, we would have uh, retracted and we would have repented and become better. How can you uh, punish us and how can you deny us? and so on, you know, if we had prophets like the Jews did, we would have been better. So therefore, established for them prophets. He gave prophets to the nations of the world also. But what did the prophets do? They broke through the fence of the world. Rashi will explain what that means. It's a metaphor. Originally, the nations were controlled concerning Arias. The nations understood that a father should not uh, lie with his daughter and so on, and a married woman should not uh, have relations with anyone else other than her husband. They understood, understood these uh, basic principles of decent behavior and they observed them. And this person, Bilam, who was their greatest Navi, he gave them advice to be mafkir themselves, to make themselves free for immorality. As we read later in the Parsha that he advised the, um, the daughters of Mayav and the daughters of Midian to try to entice the Jewish men into sin. Okay, so therefore, now the, the nations have no, no more complaints. They have no more tainas. Uh, Yes, they had Nevi'im, but look what, look what kind of Nevi'im come from them. And as some of Foshim point out, I believe it's the, the Maharshal that points out that, uh, number one, you see what kind of Nevi'im they were able to produce. And number two, you see that when their Nevi'im advised them to do things which were obviously immoral, they followed them. So you see, it's not, there's really no point in giving them any more Nevi'im. Okay, that's the Rashi. I would like to raise four questions on this Rashi. Some of them, as usual, are what I call technical questions, and some of them are what I call content questions. Let's begin with the technical. Anybody who has studied Rashi's commentary on Chumash knows that in most places, he does not explicitly ask his questions. He's always coming to answer some question, but in the vast majority of cases, he doesn't tell us what the question is. He expects from us that we will read the Pasuk carefully and we will notice what difficulties there are in the Pasuk. And Rashi simply tells us how to, how to understand the Pasuk better, how to answer those questions, but he doesn't actually tell us what the questions are. Occasionally, more than a fair amount of time, however, Rashi does ask an explicit question. But whenever Rashi asks an explicit question, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, why did he find that necessary to make that question explicit? Why couldn't he just allow it to be like all those other questions, which are, which are understood, which are implied, which are not written out explicitly? In this Pasuk, Rashi raises his question explicitly. We see really both points in this Rashi. Uh, we, I would say that really Rashi had two questions about this Pasuk. 
Question number one, he simply expects us to understand. The question is, what does it mean, Eretz B'nai Amo? What does it mean that Bullock sent to Bilam in the land of his people? What does that mean? Whose people? So Rashi didn't tell us what the question is. He simply answers it. He simply tells us how to understand the Pasuk. And he said, Eretz B'nai Amo, Shel Bullock. It means Bullock's land. And why was, uh, and he explains, why was Bilam sending back to his homeland to Bullock? Because uh, the whole reason why Bullock ended up in Moab is because Bilam prophesied that he would become a king, and it came true. He somehow became the king of Moab, even though he was actually not a Moabi, as Rashi says in other places. But that is an implied question, and Rashi simply writes to us the answer. But then Rashi asks an explicit question. He says, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu place his Shrina upon this Goy Russia? So we have to understand, question number one is, we have to understand why Rashi found it necessary to write this question explicitly. Question number two involves the placement of Rashi's question. Where, Rashi asks, this second question, V'im Taimar, why did he rest his Shrina on this Goy Russia? The Sefer Amar Nakei, which we have mentioned before, some say it was written by Rabbi Avadim Ibertanoro, the, the, the author of the famous commentary on the Mishnah. Some say it was written by a, by a student of his. Whatever it is, it's a very interesting Sefer, a very interesting super commentary on Rashi. He asks that Rashi really didn't have to ask on this Pasuk. This Pasuk doesn't say that Bilam was a prophet. If you read the Pasuk, it says, that Bullock sent messengers to Bilam, telling him, I have a problem. Doesn't say that, I therefore I need prophecy. Doesn't say that Bilam was a prophet. So why is Rashi asking, why did the Kodesh Baruch allow him to become a prophet? The Sefer Amenakeh asks that Rashi should have waited for Pasuk Tes, just a few Pasukim later. In Pasuk Tes, uh, Bilam begins to prophesize. Hashem begins to talk to Bilam. It says, God said to Bilam, and he said, who are these people who are with you? That's the first Pesach that explicitly says that Bilam was a prophet, that Bilam was someone to whom God spoke. So the Amarnakeh raises the question that Rashi should have waited until here to ask his question. Why did Hashem allow Bilam to be a prophet? In my humble opinion, we could have asked a different question, the same kind of question, but we could have asked the following. If we go back to last week's Parsha, Parsha Schukas, it says that Klal Yisrael fought a war with the Emoiri nation, and they took over a place called Cheshbon v'cholben Eisel. They Klal Yisrael conquered a city named Cheshbon, and all of its uh, small villages around it. And then the Pasuk says, Ki ir because Cheshbon was the city of Sichon, the king of the Amori, but he had fought previously against the first king of Moyav, and the king of Moyav took all of um, uh, the king of the king of Sichon, the, the king of the Amori, whose name is Sichon, took all of Moyav's land um, up to a place called Arnain. The Pesach is telling us a bit of history. 
that this city, Sichon, originally belonged to Moab, but then the Amorim took it, and then Klai Yisrael took it from the Amorim. So Rashi there asks, Why was it necessary for this to be written? Why do we need this, uh, this history lesson about, why do we need this lesson about the ancient Middle Eastern history? Because it says a Pasuk in Dvarim, you shall not cause distress to the nation of Moab. You shall not attack them. Because Moab is descended from Lot, Avram Avinu's nephew. And Lot did certain favors for Avram Avinu. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rewarded them and said that uh, Klai Yisrael will never take away their land and will not wage war against them. And the city of Cheshbon really is part of Moab. So how are we allowed to conquer the city the city of Cheshbon, if we're not allowed to, to start up with Mayav. So, so therefore the Torah writes in this Pesach that Sichon, the Amori, the king of the Amorim, he took Cheshbon away from Yisrael, And through him, the, the city of Sichon and its surroundings became Tahar the Yisrael. They became purified, quote unquote, for Klai Yisrael. In other words, it became permitted for Klai Yisrael to take it. Kalal Yisrael is only forbid, forbidden to, to wage war against Mayav. But if somebody else takes their land, we can, we can wage war against that someone else and take whatever we're able to take. So my question is, oh, one, uh, one more Pasuk before we get to my question. My, my main question is not, mainly not on this Pasuk, on the next Pasuk. Pardon me. Alkane Yemrua Moishlim. Regarding this war, the Moishlim, those who make parables or those who prophesy, say, Bo Cheshbain, come to the city of Cheshbain. Tibane Vesikonein Ir Sichain. Let it be built and established as a city that belongs to Sichain. So who are these Moishlim? Who are these prophets who predicted that Sichon would be able to conquer Cheshbain from Moyab and who encouraged him to do it? Says Rashi. Regarding this war that Sichon fought against Moyav to take the city of Cheshbon, those who make Mishalim, those who make parables, refers to Bilam. As it says about him in our parsha, he lifted up or he spoke out his marshal. Now, what do we see from this Rashi? According to Rashi, Yomru HaMoshlim means that the prophets, meaning Bilam, spoke this prophecy. So we see here, back in Parshish Chukas, that Bilam was a prophet. Why didn't Rashi ask over here? But why did Hashem give prophecy to such a, to such a person, to a Goy Rasha? So that is a question that I'm that I'm putting on the table will, of course, Bezras Hashem will come back and try to answer it. So we have two questions about the placement of Rashi's Kashya, that why did a Kodesh Baruch Hu allow his holy Shrina to rest upon a person like Bilam, who was a Goy Russia? Question number three. Why, how does Rashi know at this point of the narrative that Bilam is a Russia? All the bad things that Bilam did all come later in Parsha's Bullock. But at this point of the Parsha, all it says is that Moab was afraid of Klai Yisrael, 
and Bullock, uh, for some reason, called upon this fellow named Bilam to try to help him. Doesn't say that Bilam accepted yet in this Pusik. Doesn't say that he tried anything. In my humble opinion, there is no uh, scriptural, ev scriptural evidence at this point in the narrative that Bilam is a Russia. So, and Rashi, I've said this, this principle many times, that Rashi does not uh, generally ask his questions based on knowledge that we would not have known yet, meaning that we didn't get up to in the order of the Psukkim. He'll ask all kinds of questions based on knowledge that we should already have if we had started reading the Torah, Pasuk by Pasuk, since Bracious. But information that we would not have, would not have had yet at that point, Rashi generally does not ask about. And here he seems to assume that Bilam is a Russia, although we have at this point not read anything that Bilam did that was wrong. That's question number three. And question number four, why did Rashi altogether have to mention that Bilam was a Russia? Would it have been enough just to say, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu rest his Shechina upon a non-Jew? It would seem that uh, primarily HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to, to, to draw Klai Yisrael close to him. Certainly after Matan Torah, uh, primarily HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kaviyachal sees the, the, uh, the realization of his, of his plans for humankind primarily from Klai Yisrael. Why would he give prophecy to a non-Jew? And therefore, why does Rashi have to mention, oh, in addition, uh, Bilam was a bad guy? Why does he have to mention that? Is that vital to his question? These are our four questions. Before we begin the answers, I'd like to present two fundamental principles, both of which I have mentioned in the past. Number one, although I laid down a principle that Rashi generally does not ask his questions in an explicit way. He generally just tells you what you need to know about the Pasuk. Which question is he trying to answer? Generally speaking, he leaves that to you. However, that's when Rashi is explaining the Pasuk. When Rashi is asking a question on himself, on something that he said in order to defend it, in order to investigate whether it's really true, in such a case, Rashi will write his question explicitly. It seems to be, in my humble opinion, that Rashi demanded of, of his readers that they read every Pusik very carefully and that they be sensitive to the various basic issues that one would face when reading it carefully. But he does not expect that we should think of all the questions that one might ask on him. If Rashi is the quote unquote cause of the problem, then Rashi will explicitly say what the problem is and he will explicitly give us an answer. That's principle number one. Principle number two, which is really a corollary, is that when Rashi's question is on himself rather than on the Pusik directly, he will bring in all kinds of information from Sukkim that we have not yet read. It's only on the Pusik itself. There, Rashi's expectation of us is that we should read the Pusik carefully and we should have already read all the psukim that came before it carefully, and we should know what the issues are. He doesn't have to tell us. But when Rashi is asking a question on himself, there, 
he'll do us a favor and he'll bring in information that's later in the Torah or later in the Tanakh, could be all the way at the other end of Tanakh. He'll open up all the floodgates and all information is fair game. Based on these two principles, we can answer our first and our third question. Question number one is, Why does Rashi ask this question? Let me highlight just this question. Make it a different color. Okay. All right. Why did Rashi have to ask that question explicitly? The answer is the question is not on the Pasuk. The question is on himself. Rashi started off this Dibra Maskel, this title of Eretz B'nai Amo, that Bilam, that Bullock sent back to the place where he had come from. That's how Rashi explains it. Eretz B'nai Amo means the, the Amoy Shel Bullock. Bullock sent back a message to the place from, which, from, where, from whence he had come. And he had been there. And why is the Pusik saying this? Because he came from the same place where Bilam now was. And Bilam is the one who prophesied to him that he's going to be a king. So it comes out, now Rashi has a question on himself. You mean that Bilam is a Navi? You're telling me that Bullock is only a king because Bilam predicted it? That means Bilam is a Navi and he's a, he's a, he's a true Navi. He actually, he's not, he's not a faker. He does receive messages from, from the Rebbeinu Shalom, from God. So here, Rashi had a question on himself. Since the question is on himself, he writes the question explicitly. Why did a Kaddish Baruch Hu rest his Shechina on this evil Goy? That's why Rashi is asking the question explicitly, because it is a question upon himself. And we can now answer question number three. How is it that Rashi is able to bring in over here the fact that Bilam was a Russia? We know Bilam was a Russia from the, all the psukim later in this parsha that he tried to curse Klayasro. But why did Rashi bring it in now? Usually Rashi does not ask questions based on later information. True, but I just told you the corollary to my principle that when Rashi is asking on himself, he will bring in information from later in the Parsha, from later in the Torah, from the other ends of Tanakh. He'll even bring in information from the Gemara, etc., etc. Once the question is no longer on the Pusik, now Rashi opens up the whole corpus of Tanakh and, and Talmud and Midrash. It's all fair game. He can use it all to ask questions upon himself. So we have answered questions one and three. What about question Two. Question two is about the placement of Rashi's question. The Sefer Amin asks that Rashi should have waited until Pasek uh, Tess, I believe it was, to ask this question. Because in this Pasek, in the Pasek itself, it really doesn't say that Bilam was a Navi. The first place where it really says in the Torah, in the text of the Torah, that Bilam was a Navi is a few psukim later in Pasek Tess where it says, God came to Bilam and he said to him, X, Y, and Z. He spoke to him. So you see that he's a prophet. The Sefer 
Amr Nikkei explains that Rashi's only question about why did the Kodesh Baruch Hu allow this Goy Russia to become a prophet, it only applies to a certain category of Bilaam's prophecies. And he explains that we find that Bilaam's prophecies were in two distinct categories. There was, there was the general category in which he prophesied about uh, different kings and different wars, not involving Kla Yisrael. He was in general a man in demand around the Middle East in his time. If you were a king and you were a warrior, you, you may have uh, found it expedient to consult with Bilaam and to get his blessings. There was that category of prophecy. And the other category of prophecy that Bilaam engaged in, in our Parsha, is that he had prophecies, Lutoivas Yisrael, he had prophecies that were for the benefit of Klal Yisrael. He gave the beautiful blessings, Matevu, Olecha, Yaakov, etc. He gave us many beautiful blessings, which are prophetic. And so says the Amar Nekei, Rashi had no kasha on Bilaam's blessings that he gave to Klai Yisrael and the prophecies that preceded them. The, the, uh, when Hashem came to him and said, okay, now I want you to listen to me, and this is what you're going to do, and you're going to go over here, and you're going to give the following bracha to Klai Yisrael. All of that, no kasha whatsoever. Why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu put his shechina on a Goy Rasha? If that Goy Rasha is going to give us, give Klai Yisrael blessings, not a problem. There's no problem. Rashi's only problem was, why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu put his Shechina on a Goy Russia to give general prophecies to various kings and princes around the Middle East? Why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu put prophecy into the mouth of Bilaam to tell this fellow Balak, someday you're going to be king? Why would, he, why would a, a, a disgusting person, an evil person like Bilaam be the messenger? For such a thing. That was Rashi's question. On Pusik, uh, Tess later on, where Hashem is, is introducing himself, is, is introducing the brachas to Kla Yisrael, Rashi has no problem. But on this, on what Rashi said here, that Bilam said to Bullock, Asida told him, Leich, you are going to become king, Rashi had a kasha, why would a Kodesh Baruch Hu give such prophecies to a person like Bilam? And with this, with this svara, we can also understand the other pasuk that I mentioned. It says in Parshas Chukas that that uh, Bilam gave a bracha to Sichon Melacha Emoiri that he would be able to conquer the city of Cheshboin and its environs. Al-Kenyam Ruha Moishlim, regarding this, the Moishlim, those who speak in parables, meaning Bilam, as Rashi said, they said, Bo Cheshbon, they said, go, come to Cheshboin, Tibaneh Besikonein Yer Sichon. Let it be built and established as a city belonging to Sichon. So Bilam gave a bracha to Sichon Melech that he should be able to conquer the city of Cheshboin. Now that at first glance, just seems to be a general uh, a political uh, blessing that Bilaam gave to a, to a non-Jewish king named Sichon. But as we said, 
from Rashi over there, as Rashi explained over there in the previous Pasek, Cheshpoin had been originally, had originally belonged to Moyov. And as Rashi explained there, Klayishol was forbidden by the Torah to conquer and to, to wage war against the nation of Moyov. So how did it come about that, that Klayishol conquered the city of Cheshpoin? Wasn't that forbidden for them? So because of that reason, the Torah writes that Cheshpoin really, at this point in history, belonged to Sichon. Why? Because he had fought against the king of Moyav, and he took from him much of his land, up to a place called Arnoin. In other words, when Bilam gave the blessing to Sichon HaMoyri, that he, Sichon HaMoyri, should be able to conquer the city of Cheshbon, which belonged to Moyav, for whose, for whose benefit was that being done? It was not being done primarily for the benefit of Sichon. It was being done primarily for the benefit of us, Klal Yisrael, so that we later should be able to capture that land. So this also, this prophecy of, of Al-Kain Yemru HaMoishlim also falls into the second category of Bracha, as the categories are established by the Sefer Amr Nekei. It falls into that second category, that it is a Nevuah, L'Toivas Yisrael, it's a prophecy for the benefit of Klai Yisrael, and therefore it's not a kasha. How could a Kodesh Baruch give, give such prophecy to a Goy Russia? No problem. Fine. Rashi's only question was on this prophecy that he, that he mentions over here, that Bilam told Bullock, he prophesied to Bullock that you're going to be a king someday. That does not directly relate to Klai Yisrael. We don't really care who the king of Mayav is. That is not related to Klai Yisrael. That was not for the benefit of Klai Yisrael. On that, and only on that, Rashi had Akashia. Why did the Kodesh Baruch Hu put his Shechina on this Goy, Russia? It still remains question number four. Question number four is, why does Rashi add that Bilam was a Russia? Why is it necessary to add that? What would be if you were just a Goy and not a Russia? Would it still be Akashia? And to answer this, to understand this, I think we need to go back to Parshas Kisisa. In Parshas Kisisa, we read about the Cheta Egel, the sin of the golden calf, a terrible sin, when Shrabenu beseeched the Kodesh Baruch Hu to forgive the Klai Yisrael, and a Kodesh Baruch Hu forgave us, but a Kodesh Baruch Hu said, uh, okay, it's forgiven, but I'm not going to lead Klai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael myself, whatever that means exactly. I'm going to send a malach. I'm going to send an angel. Moshe Rabbeinu and the Klai Yisrael were very upset about that prospect. And eventually, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, well, let's see. And Moshe Rabbeinu says here in Perek Lamed Gimel, Pasuk Tez How will it be known? How will it be known that I, Moshe, have found favor in your eyes? Anivi I and your people. We will know that we have found favor in your eyes when you go with us. When you don't send a malach, when you don't send an angel to, to guide us in Eretz Israel, when you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will guide us yourself. And, And I and my people, we will be 
separated. We will be uh, different than all of the nations that are on the face of the earth. Now Rashi explains, what does this exactly mean? V'neflinu ani v'amcha mikol ha'om. Says Rashi, and another thing I'm asking you, meaning one thing I'm asking you is, please go with us directly into Eretz Yisrael. Don't send a malach. And also, I'm asking for something else. I am asking that you should not rest your shechina anymore on the nations of the world. You should not give prophecy anymore to non-Jews. And then me and your nation will become separate. Rashi says, And then we will become separated in this matter from all other nations. So this was Moshe Rabbeinu's request. Please don't allow the nations of the world to have prophets. And what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu answer to this request? El Moshe, and Hashem said to Moshe, Also this thing that you have spoken, I will do it, etc. Says Rashi, I will, I exceed, I, I will, will fulfill your request that I will not allow my Shechina to rest anymore upon the Umas they will not be prophets. Now, Rashi here raises a question. Rashi obviously was bothered, but what about Bilam? Kodesh Baruch Hu here is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, I accept your request, I will fulfill your request, I will no longer allow non-Jews to be prophets. Rashi has a question building up in himself, but, but what about Bilam? Bilam was a prophet, and the story of Bilam comes long after this story, uh, which took place right after the giving of the Torah on Hasinai. So Rashi says, No, the words of Bilam did not come through Shriyas Shechina. They did not come through a resting of, of Hashem's presence upon Bilam. Ella, rather, It says regarding Bilam that when he received prophecy, he was Neifel, he would fall down on his face, but his eyes, his um, his eyes of prophecy, uh, would be revealed, would be open. In other words, he would like faint, and as Rashi says in Parshas Bolaki, this would only happen at night. He would be asleep. He would be in some sort of subconscious state, and a Kodesh Baruch Hu would uh, communicate certain things to him. But it is a subpar quality of prophecy. It's a very low level, it's a second-rate prophecy, we'll call it. Real prophets, that's only Klai Yisrael. Bilam, eh, second-rate. Bargain basement rate. That doesn't count. That's not a contradiction to a Chodesh Baruch Hu's promise that he would not allow the nations, he would not allow people from amongst the nations to be prophets. Very interesting Rashi. The question is, do we have a contradiction here? Here in Parshaski Seesaw, Rashi seems to be saying that uh, the reason that Bilaam's prophecy does not contradict Hashem's promise to Moshe is because it was a very low-rate, low-grade prophecy that, that doesn't even register on the scale of prophecy, really. In Parshas 
Bala, the Rashi that we just saw, Rashi seems to say a different explanation for why prophecy was given to Bilam. Rashi said that it was given, prophecy was given to Bilam in order that the nations should realize that they don't deserve to have prophets. They should see what happened when they got a prophet and how much damage he did. They'll realize that prophecy is not for them. So is this a contradiction between the Rashi and Parshas Seesaw and the Rashi in Parshas Bolak? It would appear that it is. But I think we can, we, we can resolve this as follows. I should mention, I've mentioned it many times, that uh, there are some of the Mepharshe Rashi, some of the sub-commentators, sub super-commentators, who are willing to say, at least occasionally, what they call Midrashim Chalukim. That Rashi may explain Pasuk A according to Midrash A, and then he'll explain Pasuk B according to a different Midrash, which dis disagrees with the first one. There are those who allow such a thing, but there are others who vociferously, vociferously disagree with that idea. Among them, the, the Maskil David, and he quotes the Arizal, who vociferously discourages us from saying such a, such a thing about Rashi, that he would explain Pasuk according to Midrash A, and then explain Pasuk B according to a different Midrash, which disagrees with the first one, because then you don't know what the truth is. The basic assumption should be that if Rashi in one place explains it one way and another place another way, and it seems contradictory, the basic approach should be you have to sit down and you have to work very hard and you have to be able to, you should try to find a resolution to the contradiction. And I think here we can do so. The answer is like this. I'm going to use a, a famous expression just to illustrate. I'm not saying the expression directly relates to what we're talking about here. The sixth Lubavitcher Rebbe, uh, the Rebbe of Yosef Yitzchok, Zechrein of the Bracha. So uh, there were a few famous little sayings that he had. Little Yiddish, when I say little, they were short. They were very uh, meaningful. But there were a few little uh, Yiddish sayings that he was famous for. And one of them was, Nish Alsvas Mimeg, Muzman. Not everything that one may do, must one do. There are certain things that one may do. You don't have to do them. I'll give a simple example. You can go to your super duper Hall of Yisrael kosher ice cream shop and you may order the chocolate ice cream sundae with, with hot fudge sauce and whipped cream and cherry on top and three different kinds of uh, sprinkles and nuts and you may do that, it's kosher. Do you have to? You don't have to. There are the, probably a variety of reasons why maybe you shouldn't, or at least not very often. It's unhealthy, and it's and it's a and it's a indulgence in materialism that is perhaps not so healthy for the soul. You certainly don't have to. You may, but you don't have to. And I think that's the difference between the Rashi in Parshas Kisisa and the Rashi in Parshas Bolak. In Parshas Kisisa, Rashi is explaining why Hakadosh Baruch Hu may quote unquote give prophecy to a non-Jew, such as Bilam, even though he promised to Moshe that he would not give prophecy to the Umasayilam. Why was the Kodesh Baruch allowed, quote unquote, to give prophecy to Bilam? So Rashi says the answer is because it was second-rate prophecy. The kind of real prophecy, real prophecy, a Kodesh Baruch promised to Moshe Rabbeinu, he would not give to the Umasayilam. But a second-rate bargain basement price uh, prophecy like that which Bilam had, 
that's that's okay. Kodesh Baruch Hu may, if he finds it advisable and necessary, he may give such prophecy to an anjo. In Parshas Bolak, Rashi is explaining why a Kodesh Baruch Hu found it necessary. Why why did he have to give prophecy to Bilam? And his kashya is bim taimar if Bilam would just be a goy, but he would be a tzaddik, he would be a good goy, he would be one of the chasidum asa'ilam, he would be a goy who had all the good midas and good behavior that is expected of him, and he, and he observed all the seven mitzvahs v'neinayach, then perhaps the Kodesh Baruch Hu may, he may put his shechina upon him, he may make him into a Navi on a, on a limited level, not the same high level like Moshe Rabbeinu or Yeshaya and Yemiah and the great Jewish prophets, but a Kodesh Baruch Hu may put his prophecy upon a Goy. But Rashi's question is, Russia? But Bilam is a Russia. Memegd, who says Memus, you're allowed, yes, a Kodesh Baruch Hu, you're allowed to put prophecy on such, on a Goy, but on a Russia, do you have to put prophecy on a Russia? That's Rashi's question. It's a different question. He's answering a different point. And he's answering, and the answer he gives is a different answer. Because the question is on a different point, the answer, of course, has to be different. Rashi's answer, why did a Kodesh Baruch have to put, have to give prophecy to Bilam? And the answer is, in order that the Goyim should not have a complaint that if we would have had Nevi'im, we would have been better. I think in my humble opinion that uh, I have sufficiently answered all of my questions on this Rashi and that we have, I hope we have shed some light on it. Good Shabbos.